God can do more in a moment than anybody can manufacture in a lifetime. And I think the greatest gift we have is to hear the voice of God. Welcome to the One Cry Podcast, a nationwide call for spiritual awakening. The goal, accelerating the movement of God through sharing revival truth, stories, and reports. Welcome to the One Cry Podcast, and uh, this is a very special podcast. It's a special report of where God is at work right now, and we're preempting whatever was scheduled for this particular day because we believe strongly that revival spreads on the wings of stories, on the wings of testimonies. And we're also acutely aware that we got to be very cautious because when God moves in genuine revival, it's sacred. And we do not want to touch what is sacred. And we also realize that where God gives glory, where we give glory, he gives his glory. So we're here in this podcast to talk to Robbie Gallaty, Bill Aleph and I, the host of the One Cry podcast every single week to, to just let Rob Gallaty from Long Hollow Church in Hendersonville near Nashville to share what happened just two days ago. So this story, Lord, we just long for this story to be carried by the wind of your spirit into the hearts of many pastors and leaders. And may this just accelerate what you've already begun. That's our prayer, Lord. And Robbie, welcome back. So good to have you. And I just want the folks to hear what did God do this past weekend? Yeah, well, it's good to be with you guys again. Last time we were together, um, it was the first time God had shown up at Long Hollow, if you remember, back in 2020. Um, at the end of 2020, been praying for, I think, 10 months, mm. you know, leading up to silence and solitude. And so praying for that. And then now here we are again. And so it's exciting to be back and to talk about it. Um, I'm, I'm actually hesitant to do so. I even was praying this morning, just as you said, you don't want to make it about you. The last thing or the quickest thing that will end revival in a church or a person's life is when we try to share the stage with God. Uh, I've been there before. I've been guilty of that before. Uh, I do feel like this time around, as opposed to last time around, I almost feel like I know uh, almost anticipating certain things to happen, which the first time you're kind of just blindly, you know, obediently following the Lord, which is a good thing. But I'm also reminded too, when God shows up, there is no playbook for it, Right. I mean, you guys know revival. You've read all the books. You, you, you preach and teach probably more than people have read. And yet when God revives, it's always a new thing, right? Well, here's what I want to talk about. And, and I really just prayed. I, I really don't have any agenda, but I just prayed and yeah. just asked the Lord, what would I be able to share? And here's what's on my heart this morning as I was seeking the Lord. Um, and, and let me say, why are we talking about it? I want to add this one thing. And you know, guys know this. The, the fame of revival, the sharing about it, fans the flame of revival. So so just hearing about this, our mm. prayer is that it would just stir in your heart mm. to believe again. Like many pastors, leaders, members, mm -hmm. believers, you don't believe this can happen in your church. I know I didn't for years. Mm -hmm. And it's very easy to be skeptical or cynical and say, that can happen at Long Hollow because of blank, blank, blank. No, no. That can happen in your life, in your church, mm. in your community right now. And I don't know how this works and, and it's okay, but there, there is an inextricable connection in the Bible between our faith and God's power. 
And it's almost to think of it this way. And I'm not I'm not talking about name it, claim it, blab it, grab it into existence. You know that kind of believe it, achieve it. But there is a connection in the Bible between our faith being the lid and the limit to the manifest presence of God in our life. And I know for years, I was quick to be skeptical. I was quick to be judgmental. And the Lord says, you have as much as you want of me, which is surface level, synthetic, substitutionary glory. And, and for the three of us, we can tell you there's so much more yeah. to have of God. Mm-hmm. Let, let me just kind of back up and say this. And, and I don't know where you are, but I figured if you're watching and tuning in, this is where you are. You're believing, you're praying for revival, for God to send it to your church, to your life. But here's what I've learned, even in my own life. Everybody wants to pray for revival, but m- very few want to pay for revival. Everybody's praying for it. But there's a cost, and and, and okay. it's an interesting line. I think you told me about this, Byron. Uh, there, was a, there was a sermon preached years ago where the pastor said, there's a price for revival mm. and a cost to maintain it. Mm. And w- what do you mean, Robbie? Well, if you if you remember the first revival leading up, it was 10 months of just pain mm. and agony of me, God pulling back layers mm. of pride and arrogance through mm. silence and solitude on the porch. Mm. But what has happened at the end of the revival in 2021? Well, the revival really bookended in July. And it, if you remember, it, it began with two deaths. It began with me preaching a funeral of a death of a 30-year-old woman and her nine-year-old boy who were brutally murdered in a home by a guy who had gotten out of jail to rob them. And then the guy went and killed himself. And I was asked to do the funeral. That was on the Saturday before December 20th when the revival started. Well, here's what happened. The revival ended, you ready for this, with two funerals. My best friend, Chris, died. Uh, in July, July 9th, 2021. And then my father-in-law, Candy's dad died July 15th, 2021. So I did two funerals in one week for my best friend and my father-in-law. In a sense, that was the end of the 1,600 people we saw baptized in six, seven months, right? And so what happened since then? We have been under relentless, relentless spiritual warfare at our church, relentless. Found out that the following year, somebody stole hundreds of thousands of dollars from our church we had to let go i had to let go my leading woman worship pastor worship minister if you will who led worship been here for 13 14 years we had to ask her to leave just this past year my executive pastor who had been with me for 14 years in two churches had to let him go for a number of reasons. And so we coast in, limp into the summer. I go away and and just spend a three, four week season of pressing into God to say I was overwhelmed, to say that I was ministering out of the, uh, out of empty, uh, may have been an understatement, but I went away and came back and I really thought, you know what, God, I know revival makes you a bullseye, but it also is a blessing. And so I began to press into God again. And I just began to say, God, there's there's so much more you want to do. And I come back and I, I'm going to preach through the book of Matthew. Okay. I'm not planning any of this. I'd already preached through uh, chapters one and two before. So we just picked up in chapter three with, of all people, John the Baptist. And as I'm putting the sermon together this Wednesday on the wrath of God and baptism, it just hit me that I need to preach on the wrath of God. Now, 
as the Lord began to reveal that to me, I thought, really, Lord, this is not a win friends, influence people kind of message, right? In fact, I would even say we live in a day and age, and, and you guys would agree, where pastors have acquiesced to the culture. And they have decided, and that's between them and the Lord, but they have decided, I'm not going to preach anything hard. And they'll tell me, don't preach hard things to your people. Leave the difficult topics alone. Don't talk about hell. Don't talk about wrath. Don't talk about sin. Win them over with love. And I get that. And I'm all for love. Jesus obviously exuded love. But as I like to say, the most loving thing you can do to somebody you care for is to tell them the truth. And John the Baptist obviously didn't get the memo that he shouldn't preach on wrath because the man was preaching on wrath, right? So John the Baptist is preaching on wrath. And so the Lord just moves me to preach on wrath. And so I'm preaching on wrath and, and, and fleeing from wrath. And the good news is we can flee from wrath. Why? Because if God's a just God, he has to punish wrath. But the good news is Jesus took our wrath upon ourselves and he took our sin upon him. Our death, we should have died upon him the life we couldn't live upon him so that we don't have to. And so at the end, I just said, here's what baptism is. We went to baptism and I talked about my own story, being sprinkled as a Catholic, as a child and hearing a sermon by David Platt as a new believer and really wrestling for a year. I went home by and told my mom, I said, uh, I think I'm going to follow through with believers baptism by immersion, which by the way, if you're questioning the mode and the means of baptism, there's two insights in all of scripture. Number one is baptism was always by immersion and it wasn't a new practice. The Jews had done that for years and years in the mikvahs where they went under the water and it consumed them. And the second insight I learned as I studied scripture is that baptism was always after a decision for Christ. And so it was always the outflow of an inward desire of a changed life. And so I knew as, a, as an infant sprinkled, I couldn't do neither of two things. And the thing that really got me to about baptism was that Jesus did it as a man. And I knew as a child, I didn't do that. So I just challenged the church at the end. I knew I was going to challenge the church for, for baptism. And here's what I did, Bill, which was really interesting as I began to pray. On Saturday night before Sunday morning, I began to pray as I always do, kind of sit with the Lord uh, a couple hours before I go to bed. And I, I asked the Holy Spirit and I said, Lord, I want to give an invitation where only you could get the credit for. Because I've done, so when the spontaneous baptism revival ended in 2021, in a sense, I have offered it about two or three times since then. And to less than expected results in a sense. I mean, it wasn't the, you know, the 40, 50, as we normally would see week after week, it wasn't the 99 we saw the first time. And as a pastor or, or leader, you, you, you understand this. You're tempted to coerce the situation. You're tempted to say words a certain way. So people really respond. I hate to say it's manipulation, but it would border that if you're honest. And I didn't want to do that. And so I asked the Holy Spirit, I said, I want you to give, put in my heart the way I should give the invitation. Now, let me just kind of frame this. If you know anything about spontaneous baptism, it is a huge ask, guys. I mean, a huge ask. Think about that. I'm not discounting or, or minimizing, you know, the thousands that were baptized recently or hundreds in church. But most of that is organized. And again, I'm not discounting that. The Lord works. But when you're asking a grown person, man or woman, who shows up to your church in their Sunday best, unexpectedly, you know, they have no idea, desire to do this, to, to change into shorts and a t-shirt, to go get changed upstairs, to walk down barefoot, 
these stairs and wait in line, some people, for an hour to be baptized in a tank. That's a big ask. And so, but I said, because I've been here before with the Lord, I said, Lord, I want to do it in a way where only you get the credit. And the Holy Spirit put on my heart, here's what you're going to do. You're going to ask people to stand up in the invitation and walk forward. Now, I'm like, Lord, really? I mean, spontaneous baptism is already tough. Now we're going to just ask people to stand up and walk forward. We're not going to like, you're not going to say, hey, pray this prayer and then raise a hand. And I see that hand, then stand up. And then I see your idea. No, no. And I said, well, I don't know if anybody's going to respond. And here's what the Lord put in my heart. If you do that, you will know it was only me. You could take no credit for this. And so I came in Sunday and I prayed and spent time with the Lord as I normally do. And I just felt confirmed in that. And so we went into the service. I gave the invitation at the end of the first service and I said, hey, I'm going to be outside. We have some tanks. And if you want to come, we moved it to the lobby because of a space issue. We moved it to the lobby and I didn't know who would come. And I think the first service, we probably had 2530 come forward to go be baptized. And then I went outside and I think that whole time I had between the first and second service, I baptized and literally the worship was starting. I went and dried my shirt off and went in. And that's when I started to hear stories that will blow your mind. And here's one of them, Bill, you don't even know about. You ready for this? So I'm standing there, or maybe you do know about this. I'm standing there at the tank and a mom and dad are standing there with their son. And the lady leans over to me and says, we are part, because always, this is what I do and it takes a little longer, but I always want to hear their snippet of their testimony because there's a, it's a special moment. If you go back and look at the sermon, uh, the, the, the series from this weekend, the sermons, you can see when people hit the tank, they experience the palpable presence of the Holy Spirit on their life. And the lady, and so I like to hear their story. And the lady says, we are members of the summit with Bill Ellis. I said, oh, really? Well, what are y'all doing in town? She said, we're moving my son into college. He actually goes to school here. And we just happened to be in town this weekend. And you don't know this, but we were at Bill's church when you came a year plus ago. And you told the story of revival and you offered spontaneous baptism. And I don't know if you remember this, but it was that, you remember that little boy, she said, Bill, you remember this, who ran up to the front first. I mean, I didn't even finish the invitation, but he was the first one up, a teenage boy. And he said, I want to be baptized. And Bill will tell you, it was like a light switch after that went off. And then people started responding. It was this little boy's faith to come forward. She said, we are the foster parents of that little boy. And we just happen to be in town today and you preach this message. And my son leans over and says, mom, I have put off my baptism for far too long. I need to make it right today. And I thought, wow, here's God using a connection with a friend. And, and they just happen to be in town and the palpable presence of God. Uh, at the end of the second service, we invited people to come. I literally baptized nonstop from the end of the second to the third, 68 people in a row. It was like a, it was like a, it was like a blur. It was just going back and forth from the tank. I was so overjoyed. And that's when I begin to hear stories like this. We watched the first service online. We stopped what we were doing and we drove an hour because the Lord told us to come. Eight people, Byron, this is just crazy. Eight people left where they were to drive in to be baptized. Six more told me, at least, we heard the message, walked past the tank, went home to the house, watched the last service, 
the spirit of God spoke to me personally and said, you need to go back. I looked at my husband. He said, I need to go too. And we came, we heard story after story. One of the greatest stories. And I'll finish with this one is uh, a guy's watching downtown Nashville. He and his, he and his girlfriend are painting a house. I think they're trying to fix up and he's listening to the sermon. And he said, in the middle of paying, the Lord speaks to his heart and says, you need to go be baptized. This is 1.15, when he gets to the church. The last service has been over for an hour. People are still waiting to be baptized. But he walks in at the end, and he says to one of my uh, staff members, is it too late to be baptized? And she said, well, tell me your story. He said, I was raised in a Jewish home, Messianic Jewish home. My grandfather baptized me in a mikvah at five. Since then, as a Messianic Christian, I have Messianic believer, I've traveled the world to 40 countries preaching the gospel, but I have never experienced believer's baptism. The Holy Spirit told me to come and make it right today. He said, this is my girlfriend. She still had paint on her clothes. So literally, here, here's the point I want to leave you with. What possesses a person to leave a job mid-work, drive 35 minutes in a car, and run in and say, is there still time for me to be baptized? And once again, we know this, but I just want to reiterate, God can do more in a moment than anybody can manufacture in a lifetime. And I think the greatest gift we have is to hear the voice of God. Like, like to hear that voice of God. Wouldn't you agree? That's like the greatest gift we have. Some people will live and die without ever hearing the voice of God but God only speaks so long before he stops speaking in to us personally. And here's what I mean. We can only stiff arm God for so long in disobedience. We can only stiff arm God so long in delayed obedience. By the way, delayed obedience is disobedience. That's what I told the church. If God says act, if you don't act and you say, I'll do it, but do it later, that's disobedience. You ready for this? Partial obedience is disobedience. I'll do it, but I won't go under the water. I'll do it, but I won't give everything. That's disobedience. So God's voice speak. He's speaking to us. And boy, what a blessing. Maybe he's speaking to you now and you're hearing the voice of God and he's calling you by faith to act in obedience. The best thing you can do is respond to whatever the voice of God is speaking. Now, here's the thing. You may not follow through with spontaneous baptism. You may not even agree with it theologically, although I do believe it's all through the Bible. But you better get a word from God. And I want to challenge you today. When was the last time you sat with the Lord and heard from God? And yeah, we hear from his word and we hear from reading and, and we hear from, from people speaking. But when was the last time you heard a personal word from God to your own life, for your own soul, for your own ministry, for your own marriage, for your own parenting? And so I hope you leave and don't think, man, that's something only can happen in Hendersonville, Tennessee. I hope you leave more encouraged to start believing God again for great things and saying, if God can do that at Long Hollow, man, he can do it. He can do that life action. He can do it at Summit. He can do it at churches in America. He can do it in my home. You know, just a, just a quick word. Uh, Robbie, I, I sent out the news yesterday about what God had done to our, our, our elders and our leaders at the summit. They were all just so excited. One of the guys said, Bill, why the emphasis on baptism? And he was just, you know, just a legit question. So we talk about somebody coming to Christ and then we talk about baptism, which follows. And I had, I had some, an answer to that. Because I think in times of awakening, 
you see people starting to confess Christ openly, uh, yeah. like they did in the Welsh Revival. That's the fourth point of those four points of the Welsh Revival, to confess Christ, which means witnessing, but also Good. our baptism is our first witness. And many people never even obeyed the Lord in that step. Speak, can you speak to that? Why, why is baptism? We just saw 4,500 people baptized in Pirate's Cove, you know, why why is that so critical? Why is that so important? Doesn't secure yeah. our salvation, but it plays a very important role. You know, I've thought about this a lot. I'm, I'm glad you had that question. I, I'll just say quickly, I think we live in a in a privatized uh secret service Christianity where our, our faith is so private no one knows about it. And uh, people can say, I made decisions for Christ. Oh yeah, I prayed a prayer. But the act of baptism publicly is really an act of humility and submission and surrender. Like, like it's a big step to move forward. To, and think about it. Those are the only two ordinances of the church. And sadly, in many churches, it's routine and it's mundane. I don't want to get off, but I've just been wrestling with this. And I don't even know what I think about this, but it, it just hit me recently as I'm studying the baptism of Jesus. When Jesus was baptized, the text says that the Holy Spirit of God descended upon him. Now, Jesus already had the Holy Spirit in him, but it's said that the presence of God, that the Spirit of God descended upon him. And, and, and I know that doesn't always happen for us, but I do think that the, the very act of baptism, and I think you would agree, is a spiritual encounter with God. It's more than just water and words, right? It's a, it's a spiritual moment. And if you don't believe that, again, go watch the baptism, baptism videos from Sunday of these people as soon as they... Byron, as soon as their feet hit the tank, they start weeping. And this is not like manipulation. It's not, you know, it's, it's, it's not charismatic, you know, showmanship. This is like a genuine sensitivity to the Holy Spirit. So I think baptism is one of the very few ways we can demonstrate our belief in Jesus and really stand up. For, for Christ. When you pray, I'm going to ask you to pray this for me before I go. I've got to, I'm going to leave my staff. I just feel like when, mm. when something like this happens, I just called the uh, right. immediate staff meeting. I just feel like we need to testify. We need to praise. We need to worship. And we need to get our face before God. See, here's the thing I want to leave you with. When I study the Bible, I found there's only two places where the whole, where God dwells. God only dwells in two places, in the high and holy lifted up places and with the lowly and contrite of heart. And we can't get to the first, but boy, we can kneel to the second. And I would leave you with this. The, the difference between you and revival may be the distance between your knees to the floor. And so let me just challenge you to seek God, press in and pray, humble yourself for God and anticipate to see what God would do. Amen. Well, could I pray for you, Robbie, and for all of us? Father, we're just so grateful. Every time we hear a report of what you're doing, uh, it just reminds us that in spite of what we listen to on the news and what we see in our nation, uh, Lord, you are the sovereign king of heaven and earth. And at any moment, Lord, you could blow upon our earth by the power of your Holy Spirit and send a mighty spiritual awakening that would literally save millions and millions of people. Amazing. And Lord, is that, is that spiritual awakening nationwide and worldwide 
that we're praying for. And we're so encouraged by these, these, these mercy drops, these huge mm -hmm. blessings by what you did in the last few years, Lord, at, at uh, Long Hollow and many other places. Mm -hmm. And yes. what you did this spring at Asbury, Asbury and across yes. college campuses. And Lord, we are anticipating and really believing that these are the preparatory works that are, are right before you open the floodgates. And yes. we, we long to see that this fall and, mm -hmm. and this next year. And we're believing you for that and asking you for that. We pray your protection upon Robbie and his staff and his people. Lord, the enemy, uh, uh, when, we're, when nothing's happening, the enemy's not disturbed in the least. <laughs> but when you begin to move, Lord, he goes on the prowl and he tries every uh, scheme that he's got in his war yes. bag to abort that. So in the name of Christ, we all of us stand Jesus against that and resist it firm in our faith. And we know the devil can't, can't handle that. Yes, and so, Lord, you. we just... We pray your protection around this pastor, this church. And Father, as you begin to move mm. across Nashville, across every state mm. in our nation, we pray, Father, that the enemy would be thwarted and nothing but the glory of God would be seen. Yes, no no yes. person, no personality, right. no, no church. Lord, help us as churches to kind yes. of fly under the radar. Mm. <laughs> But see you, the Lord. movement of God and the activity of God. Right. And uh, Lord, we just want to tell you, we love you yeah, for being you. so gracious to us mm -hmm. and and letting us see your activity in our mm -hmm. day. Lord, we're tired of reading about it. Yes. We want to see it in our yes, day. Lord. And yes. we know that you long for that even more than we Such do. So, Lord, we we trust you and we pray, Father, for the expansion we pray for this week at Long Hollow that yes. you just continue to move. And yes. Lord, how you do that, what measure that, that's your business. But we pray that you would not pass us by and you would mm. move with power in our days. We pray mm. in these next few days as, mm. as public schools and private schools open up and college students go yes. back to their campuses, mm. we pray that the revival fires would already be burning. And we're yeah. already hearing accounts of mm -hmm. that. And yes. Father, it would just explode yes. uh, in the next generation mm. where every leader and pastor and missionary and parent is coming yes. out of that generation. Lord, would you redeem that generation in the yes. name of Jesus Christ yes, and do a mighty work, particularly, Lord, in that next generation. Yes. So thank you, Lord, for this mm. thrilling report. Yes. And uh, we give you praise and mm. we entrust our lives, Lord, fully to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, Robbie, thank you so much. And Bill, my prayer is that every podcast for every week this year will have to be preempted with stories just like this one. Amen. That'd be amazing. Love right. you guys. Thanks for having me. Okay. Wow, Bill, I was so moved, as I know you were, and I know our listeners will be. And uh, I don't know what some of your takeaways are in your heart. I know in my heart, a couple of things just... Uh, resonated and and I think it's important that our listeners and pastors and leaders of ministries and um, a couple of things and I wrote 10 takeaways that would accelerate what God began in Asbury here a week or two ago but one of them is I think Long Hollow uh, some other churches 
and uh, Asbury particularly legitimized the revival. And I believe that there are pastors who are doing a second takeaway. They're making space for God. And I think that's what Robbie was doing and just being sensitive to the spirit of God, waiting upon him, and then being obedient and making space for God. And then, Bill, I'd like you to address something because you deal with this a lot. But I know in my own personal life, when it comes to baptism, I walked in now at age nine, wasn't any conviction of God's spirit. And then my very first week in ministry came to Christ and it was seven years later that I was so convicted that post salvation, I'd never really been baptized. I was the national administrator for a large revival ministry. And I stood before our, our whole ministry and just said, I'm a hypocrite. I, I have never taken the very first step of obedience. And if obedience is a pathway to revival, how in the world can I expect God to send a revival if I wasn't being obedient? So I don't think I'm alone, Bill. So talk to us, because I believe there are those out there that are saying, well, uh, we've had staff members, you know this, Bill, over the years in churches and that uh, have gotten baptized after they've been on staff. Well, I think that's a really, really important question. And the reason is, I think some people will begin to look at what's happened at Robbie's church in the past and what happened this Sunday, what happened at Pirates Cove uh, in California in the last uh, couple of months when thousands of people, 4,500 at one, at one baptism were baptized. And they say, well, that's not legit. You know, people are just, we're not, we're not spending weeks evaluating their salvation. And I get that. I mean, I, I, as a pastor, it's important to sit down with people to know if they've had a genuine experience with Christ. But I just want to remind us of something, two things. Number one, in times of spiritual awakening, unusual things happen. And, and if we're not ready for that, then, then we will resist the movement of God. And it has to fit all our uh, paradigms and wineskins and cross every T and dot every I. I'm not minimizing uh, the nature of true salvation. But I just want you to know that what what they were doing Sunday at Long Hollow is exactly what they did when John the Baptist baptized people. All the people were coming out to him, the scripture says, and were being baptized. Yeah. And, and we acknowledge that. And when they followed Jesus, that people were being baptized. It was the the public confession of their faith. Mm. I, I had a, a seminary professor who said, you know, if the Bible says a little about something, you just say a little. It says a lot, you say a lot. Great rule of thumb. Well, the Bible talks a lot about baptism. Uh, John the baptism, baptizer and, and the baptisms that were towards repentance. Uh, Jesus, the first act of his public ministry was being immersed, was being placed under the water. The word baptizo literally means that, to dip or to plunge. And then Jesus said, think of this, the last thing he did, he said, uh, as you're going, make disciples. And the second word is, and baptize them. <laughs> and then teach them all the things I've commanded you. And if you do that, I'm going to be with you always. So there's something really critical. Some of these people, Sunday 
were coming to Christ initially and being saved and baptized on that one day. Some people, no doubt, had been saved before, but out of timidity or because nobody challenged them to take the step, they had been baptized for years. And I guarantee you, because I've dealt with it hundreds of times with people, they felt a uh, something was not right in their spiritual condition yeah. because they hadn't made that public profession. That happened to my wife. Her <laughs> baptism was before her true salvation. And uh, it bugged her. She struggled with it for a long time. And one day, she uh, we were actually at a different church, my brother's church, and a response moment was given, and all of a sudden, she was gone. And uh, she was down there and wanted to be baptized. And she said, I just had the courage to do it in that environment and the faith to believe that this was what I should do. So when we start hearing of these spontaneous moments of baptism, Hmm. I think we ought to really be careful that we not raise our objections to what God is doing. Well, Bill, in that seven-year span, there was uh, two things that I know was uh, transpiring. One, I was a proud and was not going to acknowledge that I had been lost before joining a ministry. And for seven years, I resisted. The second thing, though, that happened, it was a smashing of my pride, but the second thing was I doubted my salvation almost perpetually until I got baptized. And I don't think I'm alone in that. And I do think... Well, it's exact experience. She had a struggle with yep. security about her salvation. Yep. And after that baptism, uh, that was gone. It was just gone. I want to go back has- to something else uh, that Robbie said I thought was very in- intriguing. He was preaching on the wrath of God leading mm-hmm. up to this. And I, my mind raced to sinners in the hands of an angry God by Jonathan Edwards. That really was an ignition point to that first great awakening. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, I'm sure in his day, there were those that said, well, wait a minute. Yes, that's Bible, but aren't you stoking fear in the hearts of God's people? And I would just say, if yeah. his word and his spirit is being proclaimed and his spirit is anointing it, there may need to be some fear that also drives us to the Lord and his love and his compassion. Well, well think of what Jesus said about, I'm going to go away. This is John 16. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit and he will convict you of three things of your Mm. sin because Jesus was gone. We couldn't anymore see our sin in light of his righteousness. So the Holy Spirit's going to do that now. Your sin of righteousness of what the standard really is and of judgment. Mm. In other words, if you don't, if you don't repent and believe there is a judgment coming yeah. And Byron, I tell people a lot of times, I will say, you know, I could I could stand up. I'm a pretty dramatic guy. And with all of that, my best oratory and, and drama, yeah, I could yeah. describe yeah. the sinking of the Titanic. Yeah. But nothing could compare if you were standing on that bridge of that ship yeah. and went down. And I want to tell you something. No, no, nothing that Jonathan Edwards could do or that Robbie Gallaudet could do could compare to what people will one day face mm-hmm. who have resisted God and they spend eternity in hell. Oh. And uh, so it's an act of love 
to warn them about that and to speak to just as Jesus spoke readily and often about hell and the coming judgment of God. So it's an important part of the message that we leave out a lot of times. And I don't think it's insensitivity, but it is a form of love. As long as we're exercising personally, everything we can do to show compassion to the victim, mm -hmm. the Mawe fires are yeah. such a vivid reality of what's to come. And yeah. uh, if we aren't prepared to flee that wrath to come, God's giving us pictures, I just think, uh, all over the place to remind yeah. he is coming. And uh, I would, I want to ask you one other question, Bill, because I think this is a very perhaps divine moment in the history of our nation and world. But uh, I heard people ask me the question and you, how do we sustain the work of God that began at Asbury? And I think that's the wrong question. The real question, and Robbie and I are dialoguing on this. How do we accelerate the work of God that began at Asbury? And I think... As I talked to you the other day, or we noted that uh, it was 1970 that the first Asbury, February of 70, chapel took place. But it wasn't until July of 72 that the Cotton Bowl was filled with Explo 72. That's a two and a half year span where God accelerated the work that he began at Asbury. So, uh, Bill, uh, this is a moment of acceleration. It is. And, and people say, well, what can we do? Well, let me just mention two or three things. Number one, you can pray fervently. You, you, you can accelerate your prayer. Are you praying more this fall than you were last fall, having seen what God has done at Asbury and other college campuses? Secondly, we can believe big. That's you right. know, something about Asbury, and I was there and you were there, Byron, Mm -hmm. uh, something about seeing that with our own eyes and mm -hmm. what's happened since has uh, births faith in our heart to mm -hmm. believe God for more. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and, and then thirdly, we can aggressively cooperate with God. You know, what, what Robbie did was God told him to do something Sunday as a pastor and, and preach on the wrath of God and, and open it up for immediate baptisms. And he just obeyed. Mm. He didn't say, oh, man, I wonder what people are going to think or I'm going to. So I'm not. Gonna... No, he just said, OK, Lord, oh. <laughs> you're telling me to do this. I'll obey. And what would happen Sunday, this coming oh. Sunday, yeah. if all across America, tens of thousands of, uh, of pastors and leaders would just say, Lord, yeah. what, what do you want to say this yeah. Sunday? These are your people. They're not mine. And what do you want to say? And what do you want me to do to create an environment mm. uh, for you to move and for your presence to manifest itself? Uh, you know, and one final thing I'd say, uh, Byron, just in closing is, you know, I, I've been saying, and you have, and others of us that follow this have, we think, many of us think, that the the great moment of what we pray would be a great national and maybe worldwide awakening is coming. Mm. And I think this fall mm. and this next spring, I, I, I think what got I think what God did at Asbury and the mm -hmm. and the hundreds of college campuses that were saw little mercy drops yeah. is just the opening of the dam and that that we can expect and pray in faith 
that God will just open the floodgates this fall. And I want to tell you something mm. when he does, it's going to be hard to keep up, That's but it's going right. to be a lot of fun. It's and, uh, great. a glorious time. So and Bill, we've you, been praying for it for years. It is. And Bill, you know, I'm headed for the airport right now, going mm -hmm. to a city where there's a luncheon tomorrow where there are 125 pastors and campus ministry leaders gathering together to do what you just said, Bill. Mm -hmm. What is it you want us to do in response to pave the way in our community? And I just think it's amazing. You've got a major college campus and other campus leaders, including the president and, and the leadership and so forth that are joining with all the major pastors and others across every denominational line in that city. And they saying together, if God's moving in churches right now and he's moved on campuses right now, what would happen in our city if we united and cried out to God for a movement in our city? Mm -hmm. So uh, I do believe, Bill, there are those that are doing exactly what you said. They're saying, Lord, what is it you want us to do in response to what you've been doing? Amen. Amen. And we want all of our listeners to be right in the thick middle of that. And so pray, obey and believe God for the next spiritual awakening in our day. So Lord, every listener, every viewer that's been on the, this podcast, we know it begins not out there on some campus or even in our own church or other churches. It begins inside our own circles, in our heart. So God help us. As Robbie said on that podcast, that God, he took time to just wait upon you and let you speak to his heart. God, we get in our circles in a fresh way, time and time again, and say, God, what is it you want to do in this circle in our lives? And then, God, we believe we're in a place that you then can do amazing, extraordinary things in us and then through us to advance your kingdom and to see your glory, ultimately, the knowledge of it covering the earth as the waters cover the sea. That's Amen. our prayer. That's our longing. It is time, as Hosea said, to seek the Lord until you come and rain righteousness upon us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 And boy, we tell our listeners, please, please uh, like and, and share this podcast with other people. And, and stay tuned every week to the One Cry Podcast because yeah. the best we can, we're going to really try to capture every account we hear of God's movement and activity. That's why we're here. That's the whole point why this podcast is. Yes. And Bill, so, maybe one other thing, and I don't want to put a guilt trip on you or me or anybody else. Mm -hmm. but what if the one share that we do of Robbie's story goes to a person that God uses to multiply it by the thousands and thousands as yeah. happened with Asbury. So, hey, yeah. share Robbie's podcast. It, uh, God could use it powerfully. Amen. Amen. See you next time. <laughs>